everyone, and welcome to this very, very special in between season episode of the World of Work podcast. In between, because it doesn't technically belong to season one, it's not yet kicking off season two. It's kind of like bridging in between the two, and it is still relevant to the topic of the world of work. Relevant for two reasons. First one, probably the main reason, is that there are some unspoken voices that have been accompanying season one of the world of work. And these are the voices that you're hearing right now in the background, the background music. So these are the musical voices. And number two, it's related because it's still about a world of work, but it's, I want to talk a little bit more about the world of work in music the world of work in the performing arts and to some extent to the arts in general. Now, it's a very broad topic. <laughs> we can take it from so many different perspectives. Um, but I want to focus on, first of all, the team, you know, that worked with me on the musical project. And, and as I said, a little bit as well on the profession of what it means to be a musician, an artist, and, and especially how complicated that is nowadays. You know, this pandemic has really been hitting everyone pretty hard. And I would dare say the entertainment business, the live events, the musicians, and the whole entourage around that, the whole world of professionals that are working within this field, but really, really challenged at the moment, as you can imagine. So actually, before talking about the team, I want to talk a little bit about the profession. And and kind of reflect on that. I mean, because first of all, it is a profession. You know, although people may not see it or value it as a profession. You know, if you've got friends that say, uh, I'm an artist and a musician, you're like, oh, wow, cool. You know, like, and what's your real job? <laughs> How are you paying the bills? Because music that, you, you know, you cannot live off of that, can you? And that's kind of worrying, right? When we when we ask these kind of questions and when we think in this way. Because it tells you already a lot. Not only how we perceive the world of the arts and the world of music, but also the economics behind it. Right? There's a genuine concern in terms of saying, well, wait a second, you know, how can you survive by just doing music? You know, and, and I do think there's something absolutely off with that logic because it's as if it's as if you're asking somebody how can you survive by doing something that is so beautiful and and that is your passion. How can you survive by bringing people together around emotions? How can you survive by creating emotions with people and making them resonate with you? I mean that's can you imagine what that actually means? Can you imagine the contrary? Can you imagine, for a second, imagine the world without music? Imagine a world without theater. We're already seeing that right now, right? Imagine a world without the arts. Imagine a world without dance, without photography, without designers, without the creative spirit. I mean, what kind of a world would that be? And yet, you know, there is that risk. There is that risk because the industry as such, and it's not only due to the pandemic, 
You know, it kind of started already several years ago, you know, with the advent of the internet and technology and the digital music. I mean, it's it's opened up an incredible um, area, right? We have access to music like we never, ever had before. But at the same time, this access to music has also kind of diminished the value of it because there's so much of it. You know, you're surrounded by music from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, and sometimes you don't even realize it. It's like it's all around you. Sometimes you you have your playlist. Now you've got playlists for everything. You've got playlists. You know, the '80s, the '90s playlist. You've got the the soul, the funky, the blues, the jazz. You have your yoga playlist. You have your jogging playlist. You've got you know, your meditation playlist. Your studying playlist. I mean, there's a playlist for everything. And it's, you know, at the click of a finger, which is pretty unbelievable. So don't get me wrong. But the, well, the, the downside of that is that it has really taken away the value, assuming that it ever did have value, by the way. But it is eroding on the economics dramatically. So if we look for a second as well on the on the business side, and I don't necessarily want to dwell too much into that, but overall, the revenue of the music industry is about $30 billion. And it's growing. I don't know if you guys remember, there was a time when CD sales were going down, etc., that people thought, that's the end of the music industry. Mm-mm, not at all. It's a growing, thriving industry still today. And the entertainment industry is about $770 billion. But what's changed is that people are using this art, the music, etc., the movies, through streaming. So the model has, has changed dramatically. You're no longer going to the movies necessarily, or you're no longer buying physical music, whether it's Vinyl is going a little bit up, but it's still like 3% of the market. But you're no longer buying CDs. You're no longer buying any physical, tangible um, music product. You're streaming it. And even downloads, people are no longer downloading anymore. So the majority of those 30 billion US dollars, it's actually coming from streaming. And the three main platforms of that, you know, that's Spotify, It's got one-third of the market share, Apple, 18%, and Amazon Music, about 11 or so percent. Now, here's the math. For every song that you stream, the artist gets 0.0044 cents. That's Spotify. I think Apple is about, for every stream, is like 0.0044. Zero zero sixty cents, and Amazon is similar to Spotify. And you're paying, as a subscriber, you're paying about $10 a month to have access to 50 million songs. So that's about like $120 a year to have access to 50 million songs. Now, 50 million songs, that's a truckload of songs. I mean, I don't know about you, I would never, I mean, I don't think you have a lifetime available to listen to 50 million songs, but it's true, you know, you have them available, any kind of type of song, whenever you want, 
uh, and and you can choose and pick and kind of skip, 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 skip until you find the song that you like and after two minutes you continue to skip because you're like, oh, so I'm already bored of this one. But that's an amazing library of songs in my time. In my time, $120 maybe I was paying what? I, would, I could be buying seven CDs max if I had a good discount. Um, every CD has what, like about 20 songs? Okay, with good discounts, I could buy like 10 CDs. And 10 CDs, so what about 200 songs of my choice that I could hear? I'm not talking radio, I'm talking about CDs. I, I was, it was, it was okay. It was okay. It was no, it was okay. But now with that same amount of money, you've got access to 50 million. And the artist gets, for every stream, 0.00. Let's do an average, 5 cents. 0.05 cents. <laughs> so that means you need 1 million streams as an artist. For that one song, 1 million streams to get about $5,000. Hmm. $5,000 to produce a song, you start at minimum, at minimum, really, with $1,500 at minimum. Very good studios, goes way up, but on average, let's say something decent could be between $3,000, $5,000, as I said, it depends where you go. So to recoup just the production cost of a song, not to mention the promotion cost of a song, I mean, it, it's going to take you lots of downloads, excuse me, lots of streams of your song. Because, by the way, if you don't promote your song, there's no way that your song is going to be heard amongst an ocean of 50, million, <laughs> of 50 million songs. There's just no way. I mean, you may have a couple of streams from your friends. You may beg your... Your, your colleagues, your, your family members, your grandparents, you know, your kids, <laughs> your neighborhood to, to stream a little bit. But I don't know if you know one million people, but hey, that's, um, that's a pretty tough ask, isn't it? Just to recoup. So, of course, you know, people, it's really very difficult to live off of that passion, to live off of the art for which you dedicate your time, your energy, um, and your heart, quite frankly, to it. Of course, there's not only that in terms of revenue stream. You also have synchronization rights or licensing, if you're lucky, um, to have your music played in movies or in uh, TV series. Gaming is a big thing now, too. And then the other big revenue stream is, of course, live performances. But as we were saying before, there are no live performances, you know. And so it's not only, that's the world of the artist or the songwriter, which is the economics are already pretty complicated. But then, as I was saying before, there's this whole entourage around it. You know, the guys backstage that are making it happen, all the technicians, the sound engineers, the producers, the, the, the audio visuals. I mean, it is just a universe. And, and, and this universe is um, looking kind of dire at the moment and pretty dramatic. 
And so, yeah, it does beg the question, going to that famous friend of yours who's perhaps a musician and who may be struggling at the moment, you know, how and why would anybody want to continue in this field? And that's the paradox, right? An artist will always create. Always. Always. It's just part of the essence of being an artist, you know, of never being satisfied and always looking for something and always looking to express something and always looking to resonate that something with somebody else. And so it's, it's, you know, I'm not advocating for them to continue because artists will always continue to do art, even if they may not be recognized for it or valued for it. But I do want to talk about it because I think it's important that the next time you stream a song, next time you listen to your iTunes or to, even if you've paid that subscription, but just consider 0.0044 cents. Ah, we averaged it, sorry, 0.0050 cents every stream. So choose your artist carefully. You're going to make him or her very happy. <laughs> you do. And listen a lot of the songs of the same artist as opposed to hip-hopping. But um, seriously, though, um, I do think it's the economics of it are, are really very complicated at the moment. And, and you know, I respect the profession. I respect the people working in this field. First of all, because they have a lot of courage to follow their passion regardless of what society says and regardless of the financials they're still gonna do it and you know what i've met artists that are much more fulfilled in what they do even though they may not be making money out of it than business people or than people in companies who are financially okay secure they get their money at the end of the month but who are quite unfulfilled. So I find that very interesting to consider. Now, that said, before talking about the team, because I promised I was going to talk about the team, in reality, this topic about art and the value that we give to art is, is not a new topic. There's, um, there's an essay that I'm particularly fond of and which is Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own, published in 1929, and it stemmed from a conference, a lecture actually she gave in 1928, to a group of female college students at the time. And the topic was about women and, and writing. So it wasn't necessarily about music, but it was about the art of writing to some extent. And... Yes, of course, she talks about the reasons, you know, why is it that there were so few women writers? And lo and behold, haha, the, the reason is probably, A, it was not expected from them, <laughs> uh, let alone what they were expected to think. You can imagine if they were expected to write. And secondly, they didn't have access to education. And even if they did, Virginia Woolf is saying, you know, that's not enough. You've got to have money and a room of your own to be able to write undisturbed. And she also talks about this 
topic of writing and how difficult a task it is and how daunting a task it is, regardless of your gender. You know, the chances that the work of genius will ever make it out there are really very few. And and therefore she talks a little bit about that. And I do want to quote what she says because I think it resonates with uh, with what I was talking about before. I quote, Accentuating all these difficulties and making them harder to bear is the world's notorious indifference. It does not ask people to write poems and novels and histories. It does not need them. It does not care whether Flaubert finds the right word or whether Carlyle scrupulously verifies this or that fact. Naturally, it will not pay for what it does not want. I end the quote. Naturally, it will not pay for what it does not want. Because the world does not want poems. The world does not want stories. The world does not want art. I add... The world does not need it, does not need music. So it's not going to pay for it. If it's there, for free. But, by the way, this freebie economy, is a, is, it's a non-economy. It's a fake economy. An economy is an exchange of products and services against a supply of money. And I can choose as an artist to, or as a musician to give my music for free. But if I'm forced by an economy to lower the costs and lower my standards to be able to compete in a market, that's no economy. That's, that's not an economy. And by the way, I sense the training and development is going in a similar direction, right? It's kind of like, oh, everything is so easily accessible nowadays that the value of the work that's being put behind creative development that's what I'm talking about. Where is that value? Yes, I just read from Virginia Woolf, and I understand it. I get it. That was 100 years ago. The world does not ask people to write poems, novels, and histories. It does not need them. It won't pay for them. But she said it way back then with a critical spirit. She was not accepting it. I don't accept it either, and neither should you. And neither should you. Because quite frankly, we're much more than just the biology. We're much more than just, you know, the mechanics. We're just more than making sure that we've got food, shelter, and, and health. I mean, yeah, that's important because, you know, we wouldn't be here without that. But if we're only that... If it's only about the neurons in the right place and the, the right parameters and the bloodstreams and, you know, being healthy and fantastic and having great muscles and but we miss everything else, it's a bit like a, a body, a walking body. I don't think that's what the human's about. I don't even think that's what life is about. And the arts helps us understand that. The arts gives us a language to express that and the arts 
gives us a way of connecting with one another. But I think this pandemic has also showed us how important the arts actually are. Because without them, we kind of sense that we're missing something. So food for thought. And I do think it's food for the soul. Now back to the team. So I met Phil, Phil Erdin, about 12 months ago when I was looking for a recording studio to do my third album. We did a, a demo test, a demo song, to see if we could work together. And it, it's not that obvious, by the way. I mean, in general, finding the right team is, you know, not the easiest thing in the world. And then in music in particular, and when you're doing your songs, you know, there's, there's a very personal aspect to it. So I worked well. We decided to kick off the project. I submitted about 10, 15 songs. Out of those, we chose six, which ultimately became five. Started pre-production February 2020. And then something called COVID came along the way. So we kind of had to postpone the project and, and the production of it. And in the meantime, I was thinking as well of a podcast. I was thinking of, you know, I, I, I want to put my voice out there on a topic that I, I'm pretty familiar with. and But I knew I wanted a song as well. I wanted a jingle. I mean, everybody's got a jingle in a podcast. So I started playing around with some uh, garage band sounds, loops, started to create a couple of, you know, 10 seconds kind of jingle stuff. But in the meantime, in the meantime, you know, we were able to record with the band Here in May. Matthias, and by June... I had the musical tracks of the songs kind of ready. They were not fully mixed, but they were they were kind of ready. You know, they were missing the, the vocals, the lead vocals, the backup vocals, but ready enough, as ready as it could be to even for a podcast. And I thought, I think, I think I'm going to use one of the songs as the quote-unquote jingle of, of the podcast. And that's how it came to be. The the jingle, let's say the, let's say it this way, of... The jingle of the podcast is uh, its actually a song called A Hundred Million Candles. And together with Phil, there was a whole team of people as well. And here's the team that I want to introduce you to. Roger Hinterman. Roger Hinterman, the guy on the drums, the guy giving us the rhythm, the discipline, keeping us on point, persevering like... There's no tomorrow. <laughs> uh, if the first take was not right, we go for the second take, we go for the third, we do it until it's right. And Roger, what I appreciate about you is absolutely you keeping us to the rhythm, on point, all the time. But also, you were able to find the right compromise between you know, your talent and the essence of the song. Right? And... And I think for a drummer in particular, I found that quite extraordinary. You're not only you're listening, which is to be expected from any musician, but also this wanting to understand the essence of the song. And I thought that was extraordinary, what you did, what you did for the team and what you did for the song. So thank you for that. Now, we also know that a drummer without a bassist is kind of like a strange rhythmic section it's a bit like the sun without the moon or you know like 
I could probably find a better metaphor, but <laughs> it'll, it'll suffice for now. Um, so on bass, we have Stefan von Willer. Stefan, you not only kept us to the rhythm, but you gave the songs the groove. You made us move to the songs. And without that, the songs have no energy. And you were able to bring that energy to the songs and to the team. So fantastic work. And also in your case, you know, being able to find that right balance between what you can provide, your talents, your creativity, but also respecting what the song is supposed to represent. So kudos, kudos Stefan for that groove. And then of course there's Matthias, Matthias Horvatz. I'm sure I'm pronouncing his last name wrong, but you will forgive me. I call him Matt actually. Matt, the man on the guitar, the man that you keep hearing actually throughout the podcast. You know, he's the man with the licks, uh, with the guitar licks, which are pretty extraordinary. And also, Matt, what I found really amazing was the sound you created around the guitar. That was also together with Philip, of course. But, you know, nowadays a guitar can sound like anything. Uh, like, literally, you, know, you can make it sound like a violin if you want to. And you found... You, you, you found that right sound that would have been just perfect and it was just perfect for, for the song and for the others too so thank you Matthias and then of course that's just the musical part but a song has lead vocals and also backup vocals sometimes and I talk about Diana Vigovic and Noel Bobst now Diana Diana, much more than a backup vocalist. First of all, fantastic lead singer, also songwriter and dancer, by the way. And for me, more importantly, she was my vocal coach. Because there came a point during the production process and <laughs> towards June where Phil said to me, um, are you sure you don't want to kind of practice on that voice before doing the final lead vocals? And I'm like, what are you trying to tell me? He's like, oh, you know, just saying. We risk spending a lot of hours on the studio if you don't get that voice kind of back on track. And I'm like, whoa, I think you're right. I think you're right. The voice is a muscle after all, and it does require practice, and it does require technique. So Diana has been my vocal coach. Oh, hi. hi. <laughs> I'm Diana. Diana. My vocal, my vocal coach. She's doing great. Ah, thanks to her, great teacher. <laughs> and Diana, I thank you for really taking my voice to a level that I didn't even think was possible. You know, I, by showing me different ways of using this instrument. And, and you were just fantastic along that process. And you took me along that journey of self-discovery and of experimenting different ways of singing. So thank you absolutely for that. And also for the extraordinary backup vocals you did, in particular for this song, you know what I'm talking about, but also for the other songs. And of course, Noel Bobst. What can I say about Noel 
bobst. Except when I met her in the studio, she was like, you know, tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to sing. I will sing it. You know, extremely focused, by the way. Extremely like, tell me what, you know, I'm a machine. I can do anything. And I'm like, uh, okay, what's your, <laughs> what's your preferred range? High notes, mid notes, low notes. She can do any notes. And that is unbelievable. Extremely versatile. And also she has this ability of getting the, the tonality the way you want it to be. And the way that once again serves the song. And I do want to say, by the way, that backup vocalists are amazing lead singers usually. You know, you would ask me, and by the way, you know, I'm not a professional lead singer, but even, you know, if you were to ask me to do backup vocals, I'm like, nah, not really. <laughs> I know talented people who can do it much better than I can. So, Noel, thank you for the, the amazing sense of focus and in discipline and getting those notes right and and actually never being happy with with the result which tends to be a little bit the, a problem many artists have you know kind of like never happy so that's the team that's the team it's you know with philip stefan roger matthias diana noel all together it was a team effort and i think i am convinced actually that you know what brought us together it's not only the project it's not only you know we're here for a goal to produce songs and it's more than just putting your talent and your skills there you know it is this common sense of work ethics and if you were to ask me for me what makes a difference in a team that's really giving its utmost in a team that's kind of just performing it's this it's the glue it's this ethics this commonality of saying you know what when you're in the studio you give it everything you have no excuses no headaches no sore throats <laughs> none of that if it doesn't work once you will do it again you will do it again you will do it again because good enough is not good enough not in this not in this world not in the world of the arts and when you persevere you're not looking actually for perfection even though some people are but you're just looking to reach that moment and it does happen to reach that special moment when you say this is it now the song has come to life. Now the song has a life of its own. It's as simple as that. And we had lots of fun, by the way, during the process of working together. Somebody's losing it. <laughs> Are you Are you still alive? A little bit. <laughs> you can do better. Oh. 
Loud? Oh my goodness! I'm in the cave. So, ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, I'm happy to share with you a couple of sound bites of the song of the world of work of the wild, which is not called the world of work. It's not called the wild song. Maybe a wild song, but it's not called the wild song. It's called a hundred million candles. Enjoy it. Until the next time, as always, take your time. Aha, you feel me? Meet Phil. He likes the wow too. And and this is the, the, the song of the podcast. Slightly changed because there was less guitar and there was just some vocal. No guitars, no more, but no singing more. in the beginning. I'll just show you until the first chorus. Because it's to the wow. See you. <laughs> a fantastic job. More than she has. You are. Well, say it again. <laughs> you are. <laughs> <laughs>